0: an abused and troubled boy to an evil, sadistic torturer, David Parker Ray embodies evil on Earth. Investing thousands in his at-home torture chamber and preying on an estimated 40 or more victims, Ray and his accomplices wreaked havoc on Southwestern women for years. One lucky escapee and victim led authorities to his quote-unquote toy box, but she was not the first to report these heinous crimes. How did Ray get away with torturing women for so long? and what can be done now to bring justice for those affected.
1: Welcome to An Easy, a podcast hosted by Lexi and Cecilia. This podcast is a collection of research based on haunting and mysterious events that will leave you feeling genuinely uneasy. Discretion is advised.
0: I want to start this episode off with a Massive trigger warning aside from the introduction that you just heard. Um, This case covers a lot of very gruesome um, and horrifying details. And this is just a trigger warning to essay in general. If this is something that you feel will make you uncomfortable, please feel free to listen to another one of our episodes coming next week. We will not be offended and completely understand. Today we will be covering David Parker Ray, a.k.a. the toy box killer. David was born in Belén, New Mexico in 1939, and he had a pretty troubling upbringing. He had a violent alcoholic father who was often in and out of work and would maybe stop by the house every six months, so he was pretty absent. When he was around, he tried bonding with David by showing him violent pornography from the 40s. Lexi and I are not in any way psychology majors,
1: but we have seen in other cases and there has been studies about it showing the gruesome effect that being sensitized to women and bondage and just torture at such a young age right has a really strong effect on kids again desensitizing them to later in life a lot of kids that have had similar experiences have grown up to be serial killers
0: right and you know, this wasn't just, um, the daisies and flowers of pornography. This was awful things that he was seeing. A lot of it was, um, you know, torture and BDSM on a very high level. Um, and even though it was in the forties that may, what he was seeing, if you saw it today, may seem mild compared to what children do have access to today. Um, but no it was only fans yeah, of the no, world. There was no only fans in um, back then in, in the 40s. So um, this still had a huge impact on David. His mother um, ended up moving out of the house to escape the father's um, just violence and alcoholism. And she ended up neglecting David as well. She was likely addicted to drugs and they moved in briefly with the aunt Um, which was David's mother's sister. It's reported that David's aunt also abused him for years um, and would make him hurt her, which is another way that David kind of embodied what he was learning at home um, and how to treat women. And this
1: is supposed to be a family member, someone that he's supposed to be and told to respect. So for her to tell David that it's okay to abuse women Mm-hmm. I'm sure that is messes with someone regardless of what other traumas they've been endearing.
0: Right. He really didn't have um, anything or anyone to look up to. There was no support system at home. He had a grandmother who was very strict but was somewhat of the only parent figure in his life. And after she passed away, he was left with his grandfather who turned to similar abuse that he suffered from his father. I did read an article that was written based upon David's upbringing and relating it to um, some psychological effects that it can have on a young child. Um, It is common that these sort of things happen in the family life of serial killers, but it's not necessarily a driving factor for all serial killers or anybody in general. Just because you come from this type of home doesn't mean that you're going to be a serial killer, and I do want to point that out. Oftentimes, during his childhood, David spent a lot of time alone. He was only really ever interested in mechanics and um, kept a journal about different inventions that he would make. However, these inventions related a lot to his bonding, quote-unquote, bonding with his father. Um, So he had these journals where he would talk about um, the inventions that he wanted to make. He was very shy around um, others and awkward around girls, And was bullied at school, so he began writing in this journal about his desires and what women that he would capture. This began at the age of 10. So all of this is at a very, very young age. And at 15, it's reported that he may have started looking for a victim in 1955. He journaled about people, the year and the abduction, and the age of the victim, but there was never any known name associated as he was reported to not care to know the name of any of his victims. He ranked the victims with a number scale, depending on looks or um, how easy they were to capture or things like that. And investigators believe that he may have had his first murder during this year. However, nobody has ever been found, so it's unsure if this was some sort of imaginative outlet or if it was truly a murder. I really
1: hope that it was just imaginative.
0: So do that, I, but you will, throughout the story, come to find that I I personally would not be surprised.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And the fact that he has been dreaming up these plans and journaling about them for at least five years before he potentially took his first life, I mean, it's definitely something that was on his mind that he was plotting. So for a body not to be found is really sad because there is probably a high chance that there is one
0: um moving into his adult life david was actually married four times and all of them ended in divorce Um, after the
1: second one it's you you are the problem i promise you david i know
0: um he had two children but there was one daughter that he spent an especially um good amount of time with and would later become she would later become an accomplice of his um just from being around him and learning what he did You'll later see why this is conflicting with other points in the story, and I personally believe that his daughter, Glenda Jean Ray, a.k.a. Jessie, um, really just craved as much validation as possible from her father. Um, And like I said, you'll see that come to play, but kind of keep that in the back of your mind as you hear everything that we're about to go over. He lived in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico Yes, that is a real place. Um, and he was well-respected for his mechanic ability at the local state park in Elephant Boot, New Mexico. Elephant Boot Lake State Park is where he worked, and it was just north of Truth or Consequences, and it was very, very well hidden away in the New Mexico wilderness. So he's working there. He's getting familiar with the area. He works at the state park, so he knows the ins and outs of it. His co-workers saw him as a, quote, really nice and smart person. He is always eager to help get others, get other people's tasks done. There, he met his girlfriend named Cindy Hindi. Cindy moved to New Mexico to escape being prosecuted for forgery, theft, and drug convictions, as well as a toxic relationship of her own. She worked at the same state park as David, and they bonded over their shared fantasies And she soon moved in with him when she was 37 at the time, so 20 years younger than David. She learned about the women that he had murdered and reported to her that there was at least 40 victims, one girl a year for 40 years.
1: And no bodies have been found, correct?
0: No bodies have ever been found, but especially at this point. Um, and she reported that she was unsure if she believed him, but was both nervous and intrigued by the idea of what happened at his house.
1: So he wanted to be a part of the fantasy as well. She,
0: she, yes, she wanted to be a part of this fantasy. That's, that's my understanding. If I were to hear that, if somebody was standing there telling me all these things, I'm getting in my car and I'm going to the police station she's going to her car and unpacking her bags. So (laughs) very stark difference here. Um, She started helping him pick his targets and she would accompany him during their hunting trips. From an article that I read, according to Hindi, while the two had a victim in their clutches, Ray would do most of the torturing while she stood by and watched. She said that she had no remorse at the time and it was like she was living in slow motion and that she didn't think she had one feeling one way or the other. The way that I look at that quote to a reporter is she's saying she doesn't have one feeling one way or the other if that person is okay, if they're being tortured, if they are killed, if they're being essayed. She she sounds that doesn't sound like something I would say to a reporter or admit.
1: There's definitely no remorse in that right. statement. And I mean going hunting with so many people like for so many women with David, it's not that you didn't have a feeling one way or another. I genuinely believe that she did care and she did want to see such harmful things happen to these women because she pl- got pleasure from it the same way that David did.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm just so interested to know how all of this got brought up. I don't think that's something we'll ever know, but to be at work and to ha- casually co- share a conversation about these fantasies that you have, these are not low-level like, sexual fantasies that the everyday person would have. Um, I do want to note, like, if you're in Could into- you imagine
1: sitting at your lunch break and you're talking to the person beside you? Hey, what did you do this weekend? Oh, I tortured a woman. <laughs> I have a sex chamber and, yeah. you know, I grabbed a gal or two. I would be like... What? Okay, thank <laughs> yeah, you for sharing. Yeah, so
0: it's very different from just, like, your mild... Um. BDSM or bondage or those type of things this is a whole nother level so I I would be interested to know how that conversation even came about Um, but I will go ahead and dive into who he targeted who himself and Cindy looked at on these hunting trips he reportedly went after sex workers anyone with addiction um, anyone that was seemingly alone with no one looking out for them, or that would be looking for them once they are taken. When he did find somebody, he would bring them back to his home and have them either chained up in the living room, in a spare bedroom, or his toy box. This toy box was $100,000 invested into a DIY torture chamber in a trailer in his backyard. When they got there, he had a long tape tape almost an hour long of a tape that he recorded for himself that he would play for the captors, which revealed everything that he had been doing for years and everything he was about to do to them. So imagine you've just gotten gotten kidnapped. You have no idea where you are. There's this creepy man looking down at you. You're chained to a wall or something. You're just not able to move freely. And his voice starts playing on a cassette tape for an hour.
1: That's absolutely terrifying, and especially as someone that doesn't have a family that they know is going to come looking for them, I would almost feel so hopeless in the fact that I'm mm-hmm. never going to escape, and no one's going to even know that I'm gone, and this is just going to be my life for the, until I die.
0: I know. Um, I'm going to start to summarize some of the things that were said in this tape. I'm not going to play the audio or read it word from word because it is very haunting. It is out there on open source if anybody wants to listen for themselves. But I'm going to kind of summarize some of the things that are in the tape. He talks about explicitly what he's going to do to them and um, explains to them, I know you're bound and you're probably scared, um, but hey, I'm going to be using you as a sex slave. He just admits that right off the gate. Um, and he lets them know that they always, they, mean meaning David and Cindy, always keep one or two sex slaves available constantly, and that he is very selective in the type of people that he takes for this role. He looks for people who are young or very young in the early to mid-teens with small bodies and that are easy to handle and train. On these hunting trips, he reveals that he would also often go to LGBTQ plus bars and target them since he was looking for quote-unquote clean girls and that he never came back empty-handed and he almost brags during this tape of how easy it is for him to be able to live out these fantasies of him, which was, I think, the hardest part for me to listen to. Um, He then goes on to say that he would even grab somebody on a whim if they were walking down the street and he noticed that nobody else was around and that it would be easy. He goes on to tell the female captor, whoever is listening at the time, that they would be kept in an escape-proof room, meaning his toy box, and that there may or may not be another slave or victim with them. He said that the room is more secure than a prison, and explains that they will be locked to a wall with a chain around their collar. There are electronic sensors in the room to let David know if they are moving, and there is surveillance cameras connected to the TV in the living room where David states that he often just likes to sit and watch the girls. He makes it clear that he does not care about the excuses or why she sh- they should turn the girls free, whether that's they're married or they have kids or other commitments, and said that their status is similar to an animal and they will be treated as such during their time with David and Cindy. He says that he does not trust them or what they offer, whether that be money or that they liked him. And he states, they are always a threat and they will never believe anything that they say. They're a threat to their livelihood and there's no use in trying to get away with words. He then goes on to tell them that even if people are looking for them or that there is a missing persons report, no one will ever find them, which is so crazy to me because none of his, his victims have ever been found, and there's reportedly over 40 of them.
1: He was a park ranger for so long, so it makes you wonder, mm-hmm. did he use those skills right. to, for his advantage? And I mean, if you're in a wooded park, you can kind of hide bodies. Yeah, it's
0: very scary to think about. David said that he tried not to kill everyone he takes there, but he would brainwash them. He says he's not going to kill everyone because there would be far too many bodies compared to the number of victims that he brings to his toy box. So he uses drugs to try to hypnotize and brainwash the victims, but was unsure if this really works. So, as kind of an extra safety net, he lets them know that if they are released and not killed, that he will bathe them thoroughly before releasing them so that no um, policeman or investigator or anything like that will be able to find any trace that they had been sexually assaulted. Um, and essentially, he lets them know nobody's going to believe you. It's so crazy because I think of a rape kit, and they can tell if you have
1: been victimized so easily, and these women have been assaulted for days weeks who knows how long so for him to just think that mm-hmm. truly no one will even find out even if they examine your body like yeah it's kind of the
0: audacity <laughs> of, of him for me like he's very confident in what he's doing clearly very confident if he um openly states that he would do these things on a whim it's not like he's going out and stalking these girls and learning, okay, she goes to the grocery store on Tuesdays at this time and the gym on Wednesdays at this time. This would be a perfect window for me to take them. He doesn't really do a whole lot of planning. So that's very chaotic and makes it even scarier to me.
1: And he's been planning for just the murder and torture of women since he was 10. So that cockiness has definitely evolved for the past, what was it, at least 30 years at this point. Right and so that probably is exactly why he just he was like yeah i don't need to exert all this energy i've been killing people for 30 years i haven't got caught yet like i'm above the law
0: right he does think that um i think that his toy box which i'm about to describe to you and him having this tape just really shows how how seriously he takes this like this is his true fantasy and he's In his eyes, he's living his best life by torturing these women. And that's what's so disgusting. Um, I'm just going to give another trigger warning to how disgusting this description of the trailer is about to be. Um, When walking into the trailer, police recall feeling physically ill um, and deemed it a torture chamber. It was officially a torture chamber when the police walked in and saw everything that was there. Everything was made for pain. There were um, signs on... The walls that said Satan's Den, much like a frat banner of sorts. Um, There was also a gynecology chair with other medical equipment throughout the trailer. A gynecology chair, for those who don't know, is what is used at an OBGYN for women. Um, It's medical kind of lift them up and right.
1: to examine their full body.
0: Right. Um, but it is medical. So there's a lot of medical equipment that are, that is in here. Um, but it's how not being, how did he get
1: this medical equipment and not raise suspicion?
0: That's, that is my question.
1: That he is was my a park question. ranger.
0: Right. And there's pictures of this also online. So you can see that too. So you can kind of picture, um, while we're talking about this, um, feel free to look that up. Um, So there's this gynecology chair. There's other medical equipment all around. There's these DIY torture devices that he has made. Remember, he's a mechanic. He's been talking about this since he was little in his journals. When I think of
1: mechanics, I think of like metal and welding.
0: Yeah. So You're thinking of
1: the right things. To think of that kind of devices being used to torture women and SA them. Gruesome and terrifying so... Sends chills down your back.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, all of these handmade devices, they were designed to torture and absolutely destroy a woman, physically and mentally. Then itself was evidence of more victims. The police and the FBI collected jewelry and other items that David had seemingly taken as kind of trophies of his. And they urged people to come forward. Um, the sex workers and drug addicts were unlikely to do that to the police. So if the police and FBI are urging people to come forward right, and you already have been victimized and you're scared of being further questioned about your addiction or how you are having to survive daily, they didn't have anybody come forward.
1: I mean, there, during the whole Me like Too movement, people were wondering why it took women so long that were so affluential and famous to come talk about other celebrities that had sexually assaulted them. And at this time period, especially sex workers and LGBTQIA plus people were really discriminated against and ignored. So they Mm -hmm. also felt like the police weren't going to help them. There was nowhere else to run. And just like reliving through that situation
0: is traumatic in itself. Exactly. Especially, I mean- Any S.A. incident is hard to relive. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about with family and friends, but especially to the police, that's even harder to talk about. Um, So there just weren't many people who came forward. Also, it was artifacts that weren't very identifiable too. Um, You can, I'll link in the episode notes, um, the FBI link with all of these pictures. Um, But they weren't very identifiable pieces of jewelry or clothing. So that also makes it kind of difficult. And I do think that was intentional by David. Um, There were also videotapes showing him testing equipment or um, having other females in the videotapes as well. So those were confiscated and used as evidence by the police. Let's back up to how the police found this trailer. In March 1999, Ray took the last girl that he ever would. A woman by the name of Cynthia was in New Mexico and she had a childhood of abuse and Cynthia found herself on the uh, streets of Albuquerque at the age of 13. She would start to sell drugs to make ends meet and then eventually started selling her body because she needed to figure out how to survive.
1: This is so sad because she's 13 and she's doing everything, anything she possibly can to survive. And this is the lifestyle that she grew up with and just survival instincts that she had to have at 13 when most people are just hitting puberty and mm-hmm. in middle school in that awkward phase. This woman was... Surviving and living on her own, providing for
0: herself. Right. So she'd been doing that for a few years, trying to figure out how to provide for herself after not having a good family support system. Um, and in March 1999, she was put in the back of an RV where she was handcuffed and driven away from her abduction location to Ray's home with Cindy. David Parker Ray posed as a police officer and told her she was being arrested for um, being a sex worker. Um, and then was put in an RV, and that's when she quickly realized, well, I'm not being arrested if I'm being put in an RV. Cops, in fact, do not own RVs. They do not. Um, Where she was then taken, like I said, to David and Cindy's home and was held for three days. She was collared and connected to a wall, much like a dog. Um, And in an interview, she reported that David and Cindy would often move her from one room to the other, when I read that, I interpret it as the living room to the spare bedroom, the spare bedroom to the toy box. She wasn't necessarily in one place the entire three days. She also reported seeing um, rules hanging on the wall of the toy box for David and Cindy. And one of those rules was don't trust a chained captive. So it's almost like a reminder to David and Cindy, hey, don't listen to these people if they start giving you a sob story to release them.
1: I feel like that's definitely more of a reminder to Cindy because she came into this lifestyle. And yes, she has shown to be very interested in it, but she's younger. She's also a female. So maybe she is more sympathetic to women and kind of watching them endure, that kind of thing. While David has been planning this for 30 plus years, so he's not taking anything anyone says. And so he's reminding her, hey, we don't listen to captives.
0: Right. Cynthia was there for three days and based on what I just told you about the tape that she was played, Cynthia was played that tape when she got there. Um, And the toy box that I just described, um, she had a horrific experience for three straight days at David and Cindy's home. One day she finally saw her chance to be able to escape as um, Cindy got a phone call about a possible business deal and left the room in excitement. So now Cynthia is in the room alone and sees that Cindy left the keys to the padlock in which was locking Cynthia up on the coffee table. Cynthia is able to reach the coffee table with her feet and pull it towards her. She's able to obtain the keys and get loose. By this time, Cindy is back in the room and she notices... um, Cynthia is able to get an ice pick and stab Cindy and she starts running away. While she is running down the road, she, however, still had the collar and the chain around her. She has no clothes on and she is covered in blood from stabbing Cindy with an ice pick. And she is desperately running down the road searching for any house with any lights on where she can get help. Finally, she founds a house with the lights still on and she runs inside. And at that point, she sees an elderly couple and they immediately want to help her. Elderly woman calls 911 and the husband goes and gets a robe for Cynthia. The police arrive and Cynthia is just repeating over and over again, like, please don't let him come get me. He has a gun. Don't let him get me. She's just in a total state of shock, even after seeing authorities and being in this home away from David and Cindy's home.
1: After hearing about the video that was played for her and being tortured for three days, he told her, no one escapes, and I will make sure you don't escape. So I would almost feel like it was a facade, like maybe Mm – these neighbors are part of this plan. How do you not know that your next door neighbor is a masked potential serial killer and rapist? Mm -hmm. And...
0: Those are all things I would be thinking of, too. Um, I, I just cannot even imagine the mental state that she had to have been in after three days of continuous torture, the adrenaline rush of getting away from your captors, running down the road, trying to find somebody. Obviously, this elderly couple was probably very startled, so it's all a very high adrenaline rush situation. The saddest part is, is that the police immediately questioned her because she was a sex worker when Ray claimed that they were willingly there because of the sec- they were sex workers. In an interview with Cynthia, she said that she never looked at herself as being a savior of other women, she just looked at it as she had to save herself.
1: And that definitely plays into her having to be a fighter since she was just a child and having to survive by herself that she was able to escape and was able to save so many potential other lives by her heroic actions of escaping.
0: Right. I mean, she's the, she's the last woman that David ever took or tortured because... Because she got away, she was able to lead the authorities to arresting David and Cindy. I do want to point out that there were other women who came forward before Cynthia was ever even captured. Kelly Garrett was um, found to be in photos and videos in the trailer once the police kind of surveyed the evidence. The police were able to track down Kelly in Colorado. She testified that she had gotten into a fight with her husband and decided to go out and play pool with her friends. On July 24th, 1996, Jesse Ray, who had just so happened to be friends with Kelly, took her to the Blue Water Saloon in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico.
1: Jesse Ray, as in
0: David Parker Ray's daughter. Yes, I told you that she would come back into this story. Okay. So, Jesse and Kelly are friends. Jesse then drugged Kelly and was able to knock her unconscious and take her to her father, David Parker Ray, to his trailer where she was tied up, attached to a dog collar. Um, And when she awoke, she, over the next two days, was tortured and she blacked out multiple times. Um, when David noticed that she was still breathing despite the drugs that he used to torture her, um, he slashed her throat open. And thinking that she was dead, he dumped her on the side of the road near Caballo. When she came through, she didn't. When she came to, she did not remember what had actually happened, and she was treated for her injuries at a local clinic. But neither her husband nor the police believed her story. Her husband believed that she had been cheating on her, on him, and the police just kind of dismissed it and kind of just listened to the husband, and then the husband filed for divorce, and then that was kind of that until the pictures were found in the trailer by the police, and they kind of reopened the case. That's so awful, because first off, we have her friendship
1: with Jesse. Right. How do you do that to your friend? She just has this, I swear, has this like skewed sense of loyalty to her dad, like, you know that your dad is potentially going to kill this person. How do you give up your friend for that? I mean, you guys obviously have a connection if she trusted you enough to go to the bar with you, and then you're just going to kill her. That's awful. Terrible. And then to relive all the traumas afterwards where I'm sure she knew that she was right. She knew that something had gruesomely happened to her. No one believed her, not even her own husband, which is yeah. disgusting. Yeah. And then to have to relive the traumas of people explaining to her, hey, we did find the evidence that you were gruesomely mm-hmm. attacked and someone did try killing you. That
0: would be so horrific. So horrific to relive it. I'm sure she had already kind of tried to do what healing she could at the time, but that just kind of speaks to say that, you know, Kelly did not have the support system that she needed in that during that experience and that is what David prayed on
1: I hope her ex-husband feels so bad because he should (laughs) I hope
0: he does too I feel like anybody would feel bad in that moment and if he doesn't and I think it's a good thing that you're divorced. Most with us. definitely. Um, there was another woman who was an acquaintance of Ray's who, after visiting his house to borrow cake mix, she had been drugged, raped, and tortured by Ray before being left on a highway out in the desert of Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, where they lived. There, she was found by police. However, there had been no follow up on her case at all. They just didn't believe her. Um, and that was kind of that. This is so sad because if there was follow up, how many lives mm-hmm. could have been spared? Oh, I know, I know. They, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know if it was like a woman thing. Um, I don't know if it was. Um, she was reported to. Um, Angelica was also reported to um, use drugs, so I don't know if that was a factor as well. Um, but the the police really just didn't have any follow up on the case after finding her. Now, for an abrupt twist in the story, Jesse actually went to the FBI's doorsteps in the branch of New Mexico in June 1986. So this is years, years before Kelly Garrett, before she drugged Kelly. This is years before Cynthia was taken in March 1999. And why did she hang out with the police? So she went to the FBI and told them, That uh, everything that Ray had been doing. Um, And apparently it was all too much for the FBI and the agents just didn't believe that he had committed any crimes. And they saw it as Jesse coming to them out of spite and just blew her off. So in 1987, the FBI put away the file for David Parker Ray. Um, And he would prey on dozens of women over the next 13 years after that. That is so mind-boggling
1: because, yes, David Parker Ray has taken more lives than most other serial killers potentially. Right. And hearing about the gruesome things that I'm sure Jesse told the FBI about, mm-hmm. all the SA and his torture devices, I would hope and pray that no person was actually committing those crimes. That's horrific and awful. But it's your job and it's your duty. It is. To go tell someone and to look into it. Yes, Jesse's his daughter, and she might have reported it out of spite, but at the same time, okay, you know, i beat up my sister out of spite.
0: Yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean that I didn't do it. Like Right. Yeah. It's it's very unfortunate. That was probably one of the sadder pieces of information that I found when researching this case that Jesse had kind of, it seems like, had to change, whether it was spiteful or not, she went to the police and she reported it. Um, and years later, she then re-became an accomplice of Ray's. It's um, just a very toxic relationship. Very, if- very toxic relationship. Um, during the trial and the sentencing for David and um, Cindy, um, despite the testimony against David, Um, and accounts from survivors, the FBI was only ever able to prove that he was involved in kidnapping and torturing as there were no bodies found, so we could never prove that he killed anybody. That is just so sad.
1: To the families that still don't have answers, there is this guy that we all Mm -hmm. believe has taken taken lies oh, i believe lives. it till the day I die. Yeah. And then for them not to get the closure and for him not to get the sentence that he deserves, mm-hmm. his crimes far reach that of sexual assault.
0: Oh, 1,000%. He was tried in three separate trials, one for Cynthia... One for Angelica and one for Kelly. Those are, Cynthia is the one from March 1999, just to kind of give you a recap. Um, the one that escaped. She escaped, led the police to um, the toy box. Um, and then Angelica went over to get cake mix and the police never followed up with her. Um, and then Kelly, her husband, divorced her after. And the David's daughter's friend. And David daughter David's daughter's friend. So in the case of Cynthia, um, he was charged with all 12 counts for which he was accused. Angelica, unfortunately, died of overdose before the child, so we will never know her testimony. And in the case of Kelly Garrett, David agreed to a plea bargain under the terms that he would be sentenced to 224 years in prison in exchange for his daughter, Jessie, receiving a reduced sentence since she was associated with the kidnapping and torturing of Kelly it's like david cares about someone
1: how how does he care about a single female
0: i don't know if it's like something to do with the father daughter thing i mean it was reported that he was like fond of jesse
1: or maybe he just
0: wanted jesse to carry out his plans later on i can't think about that (laughs) i truly can't wrap my brain around that Um, He was convicted in 2001 for kidnap and rape and investigators were never able to locate any bodies to support a murder charge. Cindy Hindi was also tried as an accomplice and received a sentence of 36 years. After serving 18 of those years, Cindy was eligible for parole and she was released on July 15th, 2019 after serving the two years of her parole in prison.
1: So anyone Warning. If you hear a woman talking about some weird things at lunch, at work, run the other way.
0: Run the other way. Ray died a year later of a heart attack, further preventing us from ever finding any of his suspected murder victims. Um, He didn't even get to serve a blink in time of his sentence. That's so awful because he deserves Mm -hmm. such an awful
1: life. Yeah. And he just died. And so many families, a again, <laughs> don't have that closure that they need because yeah. he
0: refused to give it up before he passed away. That's right. So after hearing all of this today, um, there's a few things that we do want to leave you with. Um, there are FBI pages and updates still posted today um, of all of the pieces of jewelry and clothing that David took. Um, And I encourage you to go and look at them if you think that the timeline of which David was taking and torturing women aligns with someone that you know that went missing or you don't know where they are. um, I encourage you to look and um, contact the FBI if you do know anything about any of those um, stolen artifacts that were retrieved from David's toy box. I also encourage you to help reduce the stigma around drug addicts and or sex workers who report crimes. That's a big theme in this case, and it's something that David preyed on, and I think we should all develop more of an attitude towards at least doing your due diligence and figuring out whether or not the reported crime happened before just, you know, dismissing it. Be the support system that someone in your life needs, whether that is during their early childhood, which David was ultimately lacking, or throughout the rest of their life. Being that support system could potentially save a life.